0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Corners of the World. I'm Ben Harrison-Hyde, and in this episode, we discuss football in Malaysia. Although success is rare, Malaysian fans are always keen to back their team, making football the most popular sport in the country. The nation are potentially going to make a bid to host the 2036 FIFA World Cup with other Southeast Asian nations, so now is a very interesting time to discuss the culture of football in the region. My guest for this episode is Marco Negri, a very enthusiastic fan of Malaysian football, and in particular, Johor Darul Tazim, more commonly known as JDT. JDT have been the juggernaut of Malaysian club football since 2014, however they faced problems both home and abroad this season as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. I spoke to Marco about the story of JDT's season, as well as the passion of Malaysian football fans and the extreme some will go to just to catch a glimpse of the national team. We also discussed the recent improvement in the national team's fortunes and looked towards their promising future. I hope you enjoy. Hey mate, how are you? Yeah, really good, thanks. Um, So we'll start off with the discussion about kind of the domestic side of football and then move on to more general questions about fan culture in Malaysia and then some questions about the international team, if that sounds good to you. Sounds
1: good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me
0: I feel like with um, any discussion of Malaysian football, even mm-hmm. just a cursory glance at it, you will end up with a discussion pretty early on about uh, the team Johor Darul Ta'zim, who have won the domestic oh, yeah. championship seven times in mm-hmm. a row now. <laughs> just how dominant have, have this team been?
1: I mean, they've uh, they've been very dominant actually. Um, they um, they've come out uh, of uh, out of a rebranding exercise in uh, 2013 right after the uh, Crown Queens of Johor took over the helm and leadership of the uh, Johor Football Association. I think that was when they embarked on a uh, serious program of uh, rebranding, uh, re-mark- you know, sort of marketing themselves in a better way, and most importantly, uh, really making the team a formidable force to, uh, to be reckoned with uh, in Malaysian football. You know, I mean, for they've uh, sort of spent uh years in the uh, in the backwaters of uh, of of the militia leagues you know not 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 achieving much not winning much you know not 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 uh, actually making themselves uh themselves known or you know, accomplished whatsoever in the, uh, in the league competitions but 2013 and onwards i mean 2013 was probably the year that they sort of launched and um the the immediate uh, statement that they uh, that they made was uh, by signing a, uh, a former uh, La Liga top scorer Daniel Giza. You know, so so that really uh, made uh, fans not just from Malaysia but even from uh, you know abroad uh, starting to take the team seriously. You know, so first year was probably tough. It wasn't actually an immediate success or instant success. You know, a lot of money spent on winning national players. Uh, Results uh, were were mixed. They didn't win anything. It was only 2014 onwards, they sort of got their rhythm uh, right towards uh, making the team work. And then from then on, it um, it got better and better and they won uh, the league. In a nutshell, yeah. So, so I mean, that's, uh, and, and even that's how they, uh, I mean, 2020 was, you know, despite the pandemic, uh, only team in Malaysia that was able to uh, you know, to, to sustain and also to, uh, you know, keep their dominance actually and by by making the, you know, by making the team uh, even better compared to teams participating in the league. So, in a nutshell, that's how they uh, started.
0: Well, yeah, because no team in uh, Malaysia had really been able to establish any long-term dominance prior to JDT's um, seven in a row, which is uh, absolutely remarkable. There were seven different winners of the Malaysian Super League between 2004 and 2013. And mm-hmm. it, was re- it was rare to see a side win it twice in a row.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I mean, even myself, sadly, you know, I probably don't have enough memory of uh, of what sort of transpired in Malaysian football prior to 20. 20- 13, it was pretty much because nobody paid any attention to Malaysian football until uh, JDT, you know, sort of surfaced into the scene. You know, the excitement that they bring with the kind of quality of players, uh, foreign and local, that they were able to introduce. I mean, they, 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 they really made fans, you know, starting to flock to the stadium again. I remembered watching, I mean, uh, well, I'm from Johor actually, so <laughs> I remembered. Watching a football game in, in in the stadium in 2000 and um, excuse me 1990 you know we <laughs> we go way back you know 1997 1998 I mean this was a time when nobody really paid attention to local football I mean I think it was just I was watching a game at at the Larken Stadium in Johor and I think there were probably a mere ten or eleven spectators myself included on 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 a match day you know so that was how sad things were back then you know and um, today every game that JDT Participates. I mean, you would see stadiums, even opposing stadiums, you know, uh, filled to the brim uh, with fans wanting to catch a glimpse of of, of the team. You know, so that's uh, that's how it's been. You know, and the dominance, I guess, is, speaks for itself. You know, other teams have been trying very hard to catch up, you know, simply because um, most of the best players, uh, Malaysian players, that is, would you know somehow end up with JDT. And um, I mean, that's how that's how it is. You know, I mean, the other teams have been struggling. I mean. Some are coming up, obviously. I mean, they're trying to change their fortunes, also. But, but a lot of the a lot of the better players have decided to be at GDT for a lot of reasons. Obviously, salaries. Beyond that, I mean, you are looking at the coaching system, the, the the football culture, the DNA, the facilities. You know, I'm most impressed with. You can't find any um, training uh, auxiliaries or facilities, if I may. Uh, other than JDT, I mean, that offers is not. It's really, you know, world class uh, standard. And even players that had experience playing in Europe will come here and, you know, sort of feel that you know it's it's just another level, you know, of of of, of training. You know what I'm saying? It's not so much. So yeah, I, I think that's definitely one of the things that that really made their project successful over the years.
0: Yeah, and obviously, um, with success brings fans, and as you've alluded to, JDT are really good <laughs> Biggest supported team in the country now. Um, are there any other fan mm-hmm. bases that are uh, not necessarily big, but just renowned for being loud and noisy, and you know, fans all around the country kind of appreciate their presence at a football match?
1: I would say every state has a or club has a passionate set of fans. You know, they sort of bring their own. I mean, they really show their uh, you know passion for the game on a match day. Um, it's, it's nice that you brought this up also because the other club that I uh, happen to, I mean, when you talk about the fan base, and, you know, the other club that uh, people happen to talk mostly about when it comes to fans it's, uh, actually Klangkan, which is actually uh, Kelantan, which is a state on the East Coast. It's a state in Malaysia, and they happen to have uh, people, you happen to have people from Kelantan working in all over the country. You know, you have them in the capital, Kuala Lumpur, you have uh, Kelantanese, uh, in south of Malaysia, you have Glantanese living in north, uh, in the north part of Malaysia, in the, in the other different states. So each time the uh, Glantan football team travels to, uh, to play in, this, uh, in the opposite states at their home grounds, you know, you, you can't have a notice but most of the, uh, I mean, the, the fans, uh, among the fans that will fill up the stadiums are fans from Glantan, you know, or fans supporting they are It's simply because they are everywhere. And I would like to allude to, um, I've normally watched Klantan play on television. I've not sort of experience uh, watching them in the stadium until 2018 when I uh, was, I happened to be in Klantan. Uh, it was a game day that evening. It was uh, Klantan against Eql yeah. GDT. And as you would expect, mm-hmm. the stadium was uh, filled up, you know, uh, to, to the mat. Uh, every single seat was taken. And I have to tell you, it's one of the... Uh, Using uh, an interesting experience I had because it was probably the loudest football match <laughs> I've I've had ever watched in the country. You know what I mean? People were really screaming and shouting, at the top. I mean, you're talking about. I mean, this was overwhelmingly Clanton fans. Right? Very few JDT fans, and I I couldn't remember well. They're overwhelmingly Clantenese, and everybody was really. Shouting and screaming for the whole of ninety minutes. I mean, it's, it was just shocking for me. You know, so so I I was sitting next to. I remember watching that game sitting next to a um, to a Clanton foreign player, who's actually from Scotland. Actually, he's married to a, a Scottish lady, and he's been playing football in Scotland for 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 a lot of his uh, career. Sitting next to me, and even knew he. You know, we sort of agreed that you know. <laughs> You can't find this in Scotland, yeah. <laughs> Probably you know um it was just it was just fascinating.
0: Anyway. Yeah, it sounds loud and I imagine that um, you know, the Scottish fan may have had experience of something like that if they'd been to a <laughs> Celtic Rangers match, but nothing bet, nothing yeah. would have come close to that otherwise, I think. With the uh with the ultras do, do they kind of have a typical match day routine that they go through? Is there a typical bar they go to, is there some kind of <laughs> Food that's associated with football in Malaysia.
1: Well, uh, it's quite uh, it's quite distinct. I mean, I've watched uh, the only um, match I've watched in Europe would be some of the Bundesliga games I I've been to. Um, it's it's uh, the similarities. I would probably say uh, you you can spot it within the stands maybe uh, when they when they do their when they do their support and when they sing their. Maybe minus a glass of or a cup of beer or a can of beer in their heads, <laughs> because that is not uh, that is not something that is uh, I would say permitted here. So do they? We don't have like a I understand like a pub or bar culture where you know fans sort of go to pre or post game. It's hard for me to describe um, what they do, but you have that. Yeah, you're right. I mean they uh, they, they sort of uh, gather at a spot. Say, uh, not too far from the stadium and then you know when the, when, the, when the rules are a bit east uh, they would uh, light up you know their flares and uh, you know, congregate and shun in, in, in big numbers you know in a way I wouldn't say they were obstructing traffic or anything but they they, they, they were facilitating the authorities obviously but it's one of those uh, sort of fun uh, pre, uh, pre-gamer rituals that that, that fans. Uh, able to witness, you know, and especially the flares. I mean, the young. If you if you bring your children, I guess the young ones would would probably um, sort of appreciate it most. You know, they 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 would enjoy seeing the sparks and flares. Uh, but but that, that that is not permitted within the within the grounds, obviously, or within the stadium. So so it's a lot of it has to do with the chanting and the singing, which is also you know the force. You sort of love that as well, you know, especially when they have some kind of a strong message to send to specific individuals or personalities you know youth or even your opposing team, you know especially when when it's a final match, I mean that is really uh, lovely to watch you know I happen to enjoy the fan uh, or ultra-culture mostly, I think, when it comes to the Malaysian national team, when he it plays his it plays home games here, I mean, that's it's just simply a sight to watch. I mean, you, you would have to be here to fully uh, understand and, and capture what, what it means to be watching a football game in Malaysia, especially when the Malaysian home team plays.
0: And, of course, a lot of this um, big, massive supporter group culture has Well, I imagine it's taken a bit of an impact as a result of COVID and restrictions. So how did the um, league and the Malaysian FA deal with the pandemic initially? And have fans been able to return at any point throughout the season?
1: All of that was just gone. Um, Whatever stadium experience that you're hoping to get in 2020, gone. It was just a non-starter. The first few games, I think it was late February when, uh, or early March when, uh, when the games uh, kicked off, I think, well, the fans were flocking. I think a lot of fans were excited to be at the stadium because, uh, you know, new players, new recruitments, new kids. For, in the case of JDT, it was a new stadium. Uh, it was a new high, um, high-tech stadium that was comparable to whatever that was you know, in Europe or elsewhere. So you really want, you badly wanted to experience all this as a fan, you know, to witness it firsthand rather than, uh, you know, being at home and, you know, sitting in front of the telly. I think uh, fans, I mean, uh, genuine fans would die for for, for that, you know, for that sort of experience. Well, I mean, the pandemic came in and everything was uh, put to a halt by uh, March. Yeah, I think it was about by March when they sort of uh, played their last game. Front of an empty, uh, in front of a, in an empty ground, let's say. and then uh, everything was just halted uh, and resumed back in uh, August. Just the league matches, and that was only played. I mean, the league continued, but they didn't play the full uh, schedule. But instead, they they played half of the the remaining fixtures, and they were going to allow fans to. They were planning to allow fans to enter the stadium in small numbers uh, by. I'd say right about now, I think when the Malaysia Cup competition was uh, was being planned and in the end of the competition was scrapped. So, so I would say 2020 was a very, very rough year for, for anyone involved in football. You know, from the fans, the clubs, the players, the coaches, the ecosystem was just uh, collapsed. I and mean, people who were involved in, you know, selling uh, merchandises, I mean, they just had to close uh, their business every but there was no way that they could uh, survive in a year where There was pretty much no football to begin with.
0: And of course, fans of JDT, not only were they not able to get into their stadium this season, they were also uh, denied participation in the AFC Champions League, uh, which is Mm -hmm. currently taking place in Qatar right now. Do you want to kind of explain this weird saga?
1: I don't know much about um, how they came about with that decision other than what was said publicly, but... It was a regulation that was applied uh, by our government in terms of uh, making foreign travels for, I guess, you know, for competing in sport. What would have killed anybody would be the very strict uh, requirements uh, traveling upon returning. I mean, you're talking about, you know, uh, coming back from, uh, I mean, going to Qatar and then getting yourself quarantined and then participating in tournaments and then coming back here. It sounded like a costly affair. Um, for the players or for the club itself, that's one. And then number two, I think everybody thought it was probably a risk, you know, that wasn't worth it. If you could avoid it, you might as well just avoid it. I think that was what the consideration at at the end of the whole thing was. It was sad. I mean, for me as a fan, I thought, I wish they had participated. I mean, the pandemic aside, you're talking about, the number of games that they played uh, prior to the uh, sports football shutdown. And uh, they were doing so well. I mean, they were doing very well. They had the chance of, they actually had a chance of progressing beyond uh, the group stages. So it was a bit of a tough uh, decision to accept, but that's uh, that was decided. So we just, uh, we just deal with it. And we, we just hope to see, uh, we just hope to see a better 2021.
0: And obviously the uh, travel restrictions have also impacted international football and the Malaysian team Mm -hmm. haven't played an international match since November 2019. It's it's pretty much a year now since they last played Mm -hmm. an international match. Mm -hmm. Has that kind of Mm -hmm. had an impact on Malaysians as a whole? Because I think I'm right in saying that football is the most popular sport.
1: I would say almost the same thing, you know, I mean, you're talking about November 2019. That Malaysian team was on a roll. I mean, we were up there. I mean, we were actually behind in the table, standing just below the uh, the leader of the of the of that group's uh, qualification of the qualification group. And you're talking about we were able to beat uh, some of the tough opponents, you know, Thailand. We beat, beat Indonesia, bitter rivals, twice uh, during that qualification game last year. Uh, this uh, current set of Malaysian players were. You, you know, they had a really good self-belief. Um, you know, we would, uh, in the past, you know, when you would confront a team like uh, Qatar, uh, UAE uh, back in the day, you'd imagine militia getting smashed five, maybe six goals, maybe less, you know. I mean, it won't be a uh, friendly affair, so to speak. You know, it's going to be very difficult. But, uh, yeah, but we were able to show them that, you know, we were not to be taken lightly. Uh, when they came here and played last year, even though we lost that game. I think it was, a, it was a good experience to, you know, sort of cultivate uh, uh, self-belief in our players. So that Malaysian team at the end of uh, 2019 was was really something. The effect of that now is when are they going to even get back to play or to even trade together again? you are talking about almost a year. And it's probably more than a year now since they last played. They haven't even been back together. You know, the national coach we cannot call them for national camp because our well rules and regulations don't allow for them to be you know training again. So so all this could seriously lead to a loss in momentum. You, know, you think about the team is uh, scheduled to play. It's due to happen uh, early next year. So they are due to. Resume the workout qualification group matches by early NXT and We seem haven't even trained together. I mean, forget even trained together, they are not played competitively. So these are worrying signs that, you know, that could really jeopardize uh, Malaysia's chances of making it well beyond uh, the group, uh, the current group stage.
0: Yeah, and I imagine it feels like the momentum's sort of been taken out of the side because from their ranking in 2018, which was 178th in the world, which was the worst ever ranking for the Malaysian team, they managed to get all the way back up to 154th by the end of 2019. So it probably felt like the team were bouncing back uh, because they had a slightly mixed decade it started off with a success in the uh, 2010 AFF tournament and that tournament really I think should be the point that people go to to show just how passionate Malaysians are about their football because in a stadium with the capacity of 87,000 there were 98,000 people in the stands. (laughs) Well um, I imagine you've <laughs> May not have been at that game, but know of that game. Just what was the support like for the Malaysian team?
1: You know, you know that, that the, the inflated numbers were probably caused by uh, I don't know how many number of uh, people that gained entry illegally, but that's also a,
0: uh, a problem. Yes, that not is, that, so that that, that, so that is encouraged I... in any way, it is completely unthinkable. <laughs> that, no, no, no. that sort of numbers in that small space, but just how, how big football is yeah. in Malaysia.
1: It is. I mean, it's, uh, it's culture, you know. It's, uh, it's become culture. It's become ingrained uh, in our minds. You know? I, uh, I mean, I, I don't do football per se as a living. I, uh, I I sort of such as you know, so myself, you know, my family members, my wife, my children, we are able, my relatives, colleagues, we are, we are able to connect with the game so deeply. I mean, and this is something that we do beyond our beyond our professional or personal life, you know. So, so that's how much uh, that's how much uh, football has, uh, you know, has uh, has really affected ourselves. You know, when you're talking about Malaysia and on uh, playing on a weekday. Uh, let's just take the uh, November 2019 uh, match as, uh, as as an example. You know, it was a Tuesday or Wednesday. The stadium was filled. Now you can imagine. I had to take the day off just to get to the stadium early. You know, even though now I mean it's better now because the seats are numbered, <laughs> mm. so to speak. You know, so 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 you'd be assured of not having to stand throughout the 90 minutes, you know, because there were simply no seats and however you got a ticket in your hand, or either that or you, you're visiting on the floor or on the stairs. I mean, it's a lot better now, people are. The point is, people would, uh, you know, from work immediately go to the stadium. I mean, this is a change in sort of mindset, even I would say, you know, when back in the day when football was not as uh, as regarded as important, you, I don't think people were as bothered to um, to watch a game, you know. I mean, again, when I say this, you're talking about you know, which game, what sort of game, is it a friendly, is it a qualifier, is it a final? I mean, who's the opponent? You know, are you playing Indonesia? Are you playing Singapore? Yeah, are you playing Timor-Leste? I mean, that would probably draw a slightly lesser number of people in. But again, I mean, my whole point here is when it happens, wow, it's really mind-blowing. I remember in the uh, AFF uh, tournament in 2018, you know, we were doing so well. I mean, we made it to the final, obviously. But the build-up towards it, you know, I mean, the uh, quarter-final, semi-final against Thailand and then the final uh, against Vietnam, everybody wanted tickets. You know, I think that was the, one of the really crazy situations, rematch situation that I've ever, ever encountered where everyone that you know who never cared about football, or at least never talked about it in front of you, suddenly asked, do you have tickets? to watch the game, everyone was talking. And then, you know, when they, when they allowed it to go on sale on a specific day or morning, let's just say if the counters were to open at night, people were already queuing the night before. I mean, people were sleeping on the floor uh, in front of the uh, ticket booths, I remember. Mean, I mean, you could see pictures of this on the internet, all over, people were making lines just to be sleeping on the floor to get themselves a pair of tickets, you know. So that's how insane, mean, to the extent of what people were able to, you know, to do, you know, just be able to be in a stadium, I think that's, I mean, obviously that's an incredible uh, show of uh, emotion or support to the team that, that anybody can, that can display.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's got to be almost like the ultimate display of passion for your national football team to sleep on the floor of, of the stadium <laughs> to make sure that you get into it. Um, and mm-hmm. just one final thing. Do you feel like there's yep. even more future potential in this uh, Malaysian squad? Because there's a lot of good players coming through their youth setup at the moment. Do you think that from this position now where, you know, they're sort of runners up in the AFF championships, where do you think they can go from there?
1: To answer your question, I would just say that the, uh, the FA of Malaysia sort of recognizes uh, where they sort of stand presently when it comes to uh, how far can they go. So they sort of set this objective software, you know, they have their, I mean, obviously they have a 30-year, I mean, I mean the first of all, what they did was they launched uh, uh, sort of a 30-year plan of football development in Malaysia, you know, sort of outlining where they want to be in the next uh, 30 or so years, you know. And when I say that, you're talking about being amongst the top three or top two, you know, within Asia. Um, So, that would be the long term. But in the short term, they've talked about at least qualifying for the AFC Asian Cup. But the thing is, we've not qualified for that tournament. And I think to be taken as uh, serious uh, contenders in the region, you need to at least uh, participate in that tournament. I mean, that is the biggest... Uh, tournament in Asia, and when you talk about malicious football progression over the next couple of years, if you are able to qualify for that tournament, how are they planning to do that? Well, with the current crop of players, uh, we do have the uh, up and coming ones. I mean, the present ones are also fine, but I think we've, we've also, um, or rather, the FAM have also sort of joined the bandwagon when it comes to a lot of what the other countries are doing in terms of naturalizing. Some of the eligible players that are able to play. You know, we've taken a lot of, uh, for example, players from the um, from the UK. You know, from where you are, which had mixed parentage. You know, uh, Malaysian and British, and playing in some of the better uh, setups in Britain to have them over. You know, as a possibility to see whether they can play. You know, for the national team. I mean, number one, they have to be tested. Also, you know. Uh, Coming from the UK with some British or English, or or other English uh, footballing background is definitely not, in, uh, not an automatic qualification for national uh, team. Uh, so that's uh, so that's what they've been doing. They've been, one of the programs that they've been embarking on. So, but at the under nineteen and under eighteen, you know, the youth setup definitely it's uh, it's become they've taken that side of. Um, this side of the program more seriously. I've had a chance to uh, speak to some of the uh, some of the officials in FAM, and you you you, you understand that they're doing their best to uh, to develop some of the youth, some of the youth players. But it all depends on how much they are able to uh, play more competitively and get regular games at whichever clubs that they're playing. You know, so this is the concern in Malaysia now. I mean, I, I've shared the sentiment. Uh, with a lot of people and I think, I mean, I would, or rather I would say that a lot of people share this sentiment, similar sentiment anyway, in a sense that most of the clubs here are run by the states and the president of the state football associations tends to set this uh, objective of winning a cup, minimum a cup, a domestic cup competition each year. So when you have that sort of target, you really need a set of experienced players not to undermine the young players, some are really good. I mean, some have really stood out. But unfortunately, a lot of coaches understand that it's it's, it's rather easy or, it's, or rather it's an immediate solution if you were able to fill, or if you are able to fill in your team more experienced players. So that's what happens. You know, a lot of the um, senior players who play more often than their their you know than their younger. Uh, competitor, you know, than the younger competitor, and the younger colleagues in the club. So, so that has really cost uh, the younger uh, the younger players a spot in the first team. You would see them play in the reserve team or in the reserve league, uh, in the Premier League. How many has come out of that system? Well, not as many. The most uh, classic being uh, Lukman Hakim. He, um, if you've heard, who's just signed for KV Cotre in, uh, in the Belgian Pro League. Uh, last uh, last few months I mean, he was uh, he was a good player He's definitely one of our mm-hmm. best young players in the country one of the best talents and you know that he has a promising future so yeah i mean i i, I don't know i mean i don't know what the coach has in mind when it comes to it but at least perception wise he didn't give a very uh, rosy indication that, that they would or the young players would actually Command a serious spot in the team at least for at least for now, for the coming years. But I honestly hope that this would change.
0: Well, yeah, it sounds like um, you know some very serious football fans deserve a team that are serious contenders on the global stage. And uh, yeah, Mm -hmm. as you said, with um, some of the naturalisation processes trying to um, get some eligible players uh, playing in the UK. I'll just give a mm-hmm. quick shout out to uh, Jamie Qureshi because I know his brother <laughs> is currently in the Bleson yep. set up. And I know that there are plenty of <laughs> others um, in, in the UK youth setups, Um mm-hmm. And hope, hopefully they will have a great future with the Malaysian football team and uh, yeah, help them kick on to get that AFC mm-hmm. qualification.
1: Jamie is a special talent, but I don't know what's his uh, final decision going to be. <laughs>
0: mm, <laughs> he's
1: yeah. uh, He's eligible for both. So I don't know. It's up. It's up to him. It's up to his family. I mean, whatever, whatever the decision. I mean, as a nation, of course, I want him. I would rather him. I would rather that he plays with us. But, but he. I know he's a top talent, and he has appeared for the, uh, for the junior English sides, uh, England sides. So, so it's a big deal. It's very massive for him. So, whatever that he uh, decides, eventually, we wish him well, and we wish him the best.
0: All right, and uh, we'll probably uh, finish it off there. So, uh, thanks very mm-hmm. much, Marco, for coming on. Likewise,
1: it's been a real pleasure. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad to have this uh, chat channel conversation.
0: Yeah, it's been great to talk to you. Thank you very much.
1: Likewise. Thank you.
0: So, that's it for another episode of Corners of the World. Thank you very much for listening. If you want more, an episode on football and career can be found on the URB podcast page of your favourite streaming service. Also, I'll be back next week with a discussion on football in Norway.